Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. <laughs> One of those big debates at Emory. Is Emory a university attached to a, a hospital or is it a <laughs> hospital attached to a podcast? Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. This is the Fanalytics Podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. I am joined with uh, two gentlemen today. We have uh, economist Tom Smith on my left. Usually you, you say you're, I'm your favorite economist. Yeah, I might be reevaluating some of that. Okay, um, just an economist. I had some hallway conversations with, uh, not to get a little too inside Emory, but Jeff Rosenzweig, and I'm, I'm sort of debating Ooh. that one, but it's Ooh. nip and tuck. Okay, all right. And to my right, we have a gentleman who I'm introducing for the first time, which we will refer to as Thomas K. Say hello, Thomas. Hello, how's it going? Okay, so Thomas is joining us as part of the Marketing Analytics Center here at Emory University, and as part of the uh, as as part of the podcast going forward. So, Tom, today, what? Um, well, the the last episode of the podcast that we released was two questions focused on Kobe Bryant. That's right. And a little bit earlier this month, we talked some about the uh, the Pro Bowl. I, I asked you a question of why does the Pro Bowl exist? And my answer was no reason. Okay. Well, <laughs> and and so those two things, and so some of the some of the talk about Kobe related to stardom, the Pro Bowl has you know, especially in the NFL, I think it's questionable whether or not it's providing a lot of value. If it does, it is probably something related to creating stardom. Now, this past weekend, we had the NBA All-Star Game. And I think the reaction was overwhelmingly positive to it. A ton of media attention paid to it. Uh, you know, the the sports highlight shows on Monday and throughout the weekend were definitely devoted to, to All-Star Weekend. So what we wanted to do today is do a little bit of a deeper dive into, well, All-Star Games and the NBA All-Star Game in particular. Sound good? Yep, I love it. Okay, so why don't you, excuse us, excuse me, so just to get us started, so uh, Thomas K., uh, Thomas S. and Thomas K. Do you want Thomas K. Do you want to get us a little bit of background on the NBA All Star Game? A little bit of history, a little bit of perspective. Oh, I would be happy to. So, so the NBA All Star Game started in 1951. Um, it only only Major League Baseball had an existing All Star Game at the time. Um, so, there were there were still some sort of questions over whether 
this would be a real entertainment thing. But well, let me let me ask you a quick question here. When did the NBA, in fact, start? NBA, I think, in its current form, started in '46. '46. Okay, so pretty near the the emphasis. You know, part of building out a league is you got to have an All Star game. It sounds like. Yeah, I think this was pre shot clock too. Mm-hmm. So, um, but even then, in the first All Star game, it was it was super high scoring. So. Uh, Celtics owner Walter Brown was the one guy who was super gung-ho about it. Uh, the Boston Garden hosted the first couple of years. Um, he offered to pay for expenses or any uh, shortcomings. The first game drew 10,000 people, which was triple the, the average league attendance. And so they've, you know, they've had it for almost 70 years since. Well, and that, I mean, that, that's a good point because I think, you know, we, we get very used to the idea that there are 20,000 people at every NBA game and, you know, that's just, historically, that's just not the case, right? I mean, I think if you go back in time, that the league has struggled with attendance a lot of the times. And so, you, right, to draw 10,000 people in uh, 1951 is actually pretty spectacular and indicates interest at the very beginning. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so then so then it became sort of a, you know, when do we put it? It's been, you know, always around midseason. That's that's when you would put an all-star game. Uh, the first one was in March. They had a few in February, had a few in January. And then since uh, about 1985, they've been second, third weekend of February. Currently they're over President's Day weekend, um, which, you know, makes a lot of sense. It is a little deep into the season. It's about two-thirds of the way into the year. Um, which is a little bit kind of late for an all-star game. Well, in, in the but, strategy, of, what, do you, what do you guys think about the strategy of when do you, lo- when do you locate this within a, within a season? I mean, the, the thing that comes to my mind is, you know, if this is an entertainment property, you, you kind of want to hit this at, at some point to keep the fans interested, right? And so in the middle of the season, I guess before, play, before the playoff rush, um, you know, before things really kind of heat up and after sort of the, the excitement of the new season, hey, here's some star power. No, I, so I think that the timing of it is actually perfect. So when you think about economically, when you want to sort of um, get more fans involved in, the, in your league, if you, did, if you did it in halfway through, which is, you know, like maybe second week of January, right, then you're also competing with everybody who's still watching NFL. And you're just not going to grab the attention. This way, it's after the Super Bowl. It's before you really have any kind of baseball action taking place. So it's a very natural position to identify, okay, we are the league to watch for the next three months. And I think it it actually propels that last Mm -hmm. two-thirds of the season so that people say, oh, okay, I forgot. Uh, NBA basketball is exciting. And so I think actually strategically it's perfectly placed. Okay, so just to get it on the um you know to it, it becomes the headline for the uh, sports shows and sort of you know shines the bright spotlight on the NBA as soon as the Super Bowl is over. Yeah, I think I think position-wise it's tr- it's perfect. And on top of that, President's Day weekend being a 3-day weekend for a lot of people it can get some folks into you know into All-Star weekend that maybe wouldn't be there otherwise. Yeah, I, th- I mean, it, definitely you have, and it's one of the, I was going to correct you earlier, Mike, and I, I, I'm glad you said All Star Game, um, because actually All Star Weekend, it's an All Star Weekend. I mean, they really make it an, a, a full blown. Well, let's event. Let, let, let's come back to that and this notion okay. of it becoming uh, transitioning from a game to an event. So, okay. so Thomas, getting back to the history, I see on some of the notes some discussion about how players are actually selected, and, and how have been selected over time. 
Yeah, so for the first 24 years, it was a panel of sports writers and broadcasters. So just the media vote. Um, the first fan vote was in 1975. Now, and now do we know historically was made? I mean, because I always remember the thing of like ballot box stuffing in Major League Baseball. Was Major League Baseball always a fan vote? Maybe not for the first couple of years, but I think that became a thing for, you know, I don't have notes for that, but I believe that was, a, you know, definitely became a thing through the 40s and 50s, and that was when they had some sort of, like, yeah, the, was it the Reds who had, like, a million start, like, all all their players were voted Are, are, are you stars. talking about in the 70s? Was it the 70s? <clears throat> probably the big red machine yeah. in the 70s. Yeah. I mean, they those guys probably all deserved to be on the All-Star they, game anyways. They, they did. That, that too. <laughs> um, so, so first fan vote for the NBA was in 75. Um, well, just as a little bit of an aside, what do you guys think about whether or not you should have the media voting on the All-Stars or the fans voting on the All-Stars? Well, I think it depends on what the league is trying to achieve by having the game being played anyway, right? If they're trying to, to set up the last part of the season to get people to start tuning in, to start rooting for a team to take more interest, then it makes a lot of sense for the team to be I'm composed of people that the fans really like. And so, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to have the fans vote for people who they want to watch because mm-hmm. now you've got a reason to watch the game. Having a bunch of stuffed shirts, you know, pick your team for you, the fans are going to tune out. And so you've got to have fan favorites. Well, and, and I mean, as a general principle, I think, you know, a standard notion is as much interactivity as possible is the way to go in um really all realms of marketing. So letting the fans choose, letting the fans choose the favors, the fav- their favorites. Now, I, I suppose there's an obvious point, too, of, well, why don't you let the fans just uh, select the the team? Why, why do you involve the media or the broadcasters? Um, yeah. And you know what, it, what it, you just said here, too, I liked. So I was watching some of the uh, media day, and the way that it was set up is that there was a lot of uh, fan-player interaction right and so you had you had the players who were out there and they were within an arm's length of the fans who are interested in them so if you went to media day or you involved in that then there was players who are walking along, around players who are interacting with fans signing shirts signing basketballs i mean it was very fan interactive and so the nba is actually getting really good at that trying to make themselves accessible and i think that you know this was a you can see it really easily when you. When well, you, you know, I, I was at a. Um, I was at. Maybe was, I was probably at a bar watching some of this stuff on, uh, uh, watching some of the festivities on the game, and and, and so I could, didn't have the sound up, but at one point I, I did see like the 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 players were all being introduced, and there and then there was a fan next to each of them, mm-hmm. and they were all wearing either uh, Team LeBron or Team Giannis sweatshirts. What was going on with that? Who were the fans that were walking out with them? So in this, uh, the last the last couple of years, um, since I believe 2018 was the first year they did this, they, they had all-star captains because they played East-West from 51, that first all-star game, all the way through 2017. But guys stopped playing defense. Uh, the last two years that they... Didn't they, that they did the conferences? The final scores were one ninety six to one seventy three, and then one ninety two to one eighty two. That's a tight game. Yeah, uh, you know, you just they don't want two hundred points of basketball. So, um, you know, they had the captains draft, and 
So, so that now it's become... You know what? I'm going to be the, con- the contrarian on this episode. I'm going to be the contrarian on all these episodes, I, I think. Um, but 175 points is okay. We don't want 200 points, but 150, 175 points are good with you guys. I don't, on the margin, I don't think it really makes a difference. Okay. I mean, it's... I, the NBA... I mean, when say that the NBA doesn't want a 200-point game. It's... I mean, clearly, that's what they're getting, and they're going to get a super high-scoring uh, game. And that's what fans really like. They want to see their um, player go out there and you know throw down uh, you know a couple slams during the game, get some good you know highlight reels, and I mean that's what the fans want. And so fans want lots of scoring. I think it makes a lot of sense. The, I think that the issue there is the fans also want at least the illusion of defense. Hmm. And uh, those those two games, I think the reason that. That we said this is what we don't want is because there was no illusion of defense. Do you guys really think the fans know what they want? I'm getting a little bit. Uh, I'm getting a little outside my my note structure on this, but th- this issue of give the fans what they want is that actually a good idea all the time? More uh, more you, scoring, you scoring it, scoring is better. And then you got 275 to 219, and and you know. For the novelty of it, you have, um, you know, we have an eight-point shot, an eight-point shooting range in the All-Star game, right? It becomes, does it become, have a tendency to become a circus? Oh, it is a circus. Like, that's, I think that's what the NBA wants, right? They want it to be a circus. And so I think it's just they, they just want to be a circus with some really okay. Well, good and let, let's let's come back to this notion of what is what is, and I, I'm I'm going to push you on this in terms of what does the NBA want versus what should the NBA want? Okay. okay. Um, anything else you want to add to this in terms of background information, Thomas K? Yeah. So um, the the captains have been the the top fan vote getters uh, in the, in the, in the two conferences. So it's it's been LeBron every year. Um, and when he was in the East, it was Steph Curry for the West. And when LeBron moved to the Lakers, it's been uh, Giannis the last two years. Um, one other note with, with the fan vote, since 2017, it's actually been, for the starters, 50% fans, 25% players, 25% media. But the captain is just the fans? Yes. Okay. Who was uh, who followed Giannis in the fan vote? So from the East, it was not close. I don't even remember. Um, from the West, it was Luka Doncic. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so giving that as a little bit of background, I think a decent positioning, and I mean, we, we've left some stuff out that we'll get to in a second and related, especially not just to the All-Star game, but to All-Star weekend. So let me let me turn this to you, Tom, and sort of say in general terms, how, how do you think about this kind of All-Star event, this kind of exhibition in um, – economic terms and i'll you know chime in with how i view this as a marketing instrument as well so what's what's the economic purpose of this yeah just to grab your grab your fans to showcase the talent of the league to make sure that the league isn't let's say slipping in terms of um what your fan base wants right how they're going to spend money and so this is so the nba is it's reputation uh building it's just um it's just putting attention yeah it's Publicity, publicity, Pure, and I don't yeah. know what 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 sort of is the um, the econ term for publicity. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think of these things in terms of brand building and brand sure. equity, and so no, reputational I mean, effects. Is what's the buzzword? The... Exposure. Oh. Yeah, is that it? No, those are all fine. I mean, it's yeah. exactly. I mean, what you're doing is just kind of increasing your tastes for the game or increasing your expectations about this. 
if you've got fans who are floating over from increasing from increasing tastes for the game now it's sure. an interesting phrase so this is a preference building sure. activity and sort of where where's that preference building how how does the game rate relate to the underlying structure of preference and how does this game improve um preference well, so I, th- I think you think about two well, different and, and, sets and of not yeah. to keep interrupting you it's like mm-hmm. and so in some ways it's I might view this as with with sort of two with two objectives. One, awareness, right? Getting back to this point of, you know, we've got the we've got the the media lights on us because the Super Bowl is over. So awareness, bringing more people into the league. Mm-hmm. Now the other side of this is this idea of existing customers and increasing preference. Right. Well, I mean, so you've got two two groups of customers. So you've got people who are NBA fanatics, and so they're going to be paying attention to the league. From the you know from the opening tip off of the first game, and then you've got people who are NFL fanatics who um, are not into hockey but want to watch something before I don't know college ball kicks off in uh, you know August right, and so they've got college they've, football yeah right I mean so I mean NFL fanatics and then college football fanatics I mean we're in the South so I mean they're more probably more college football fanatics than not right and so but these people might be interested more in the NBA than than let's say <coughs> college ball so if you're trying to grab some fans who just left the NFL and now they're sort of floating out there then you've got to put up some kind of a marquee event so that they can say oh yeah yeah I forgot the sports actually fun to watch and you might not have a preference about a team you might know that the league is driven by talent by players and so in order to attract you to get you to have a taste for the game again i showcase my awesome talent and show you hey how how much fun are these people ready to watch and by putting it on like dropping names like tnt and what have you you can watch a game of you don't have to watch you know the clippers every night like you're just going to watch good talent I'm going to tell you where the talent is. This is who you should be watching in the Hawks. This is who you should be watching on the Celtics. And they're going to be playing in this game. So then next week, you can start watching okay, again. Okay, so, so what I'm hearing here is um, that part of this is um, really it's a, about sort of the informational content. Absolutely. It is to shine a light on not just kind of the, I guess, the key players to remind you, hey, LeBron still exists. But also to start to say, hey, there's this all-star from this team and this all-star from this team. So, you know, if you're down there in Atlanta and paid attention to the Hawks, hey, there's this kid, Trey Young, you should look, at, take a look at him. Right. And, it's, and it works really well. And so, I mean, the, I took my grandkid to, um, to the Hawks game uh, in early uh, January. And then I've been getting... Um, well, well, does it, does it work really well? I mean, it seems like some years it works and some years it, it doesn't. I mean, I, I suppose it's always going to be celebrated. Oh, this was awesome. But the fact is, there's been ups and downs of this thing over time. No, that's true. What I was going to say works well is that, you know, since going to this game, now the Hawks have, you know, my email address and they know what my Twitter handle is and all this other stuff. And so... I'm getting tweets about Trey Young. I'm getting information. He's doing this. He's on this team. This is what, how many minutes he had. I mean, they're really good at promoting how well he did in the game, right? Oh, this is what he did in the game. So and and so you don't actually have to go to the All Star game to see an All Star. Now come next Thursday to a game and you can see our All Star right there on our court. I mean, that's very nice connectivity that the that the team is bringing between the all-star game and then getting back into the regular season well and i know that there's um 
to uh, there, there's definitely some theories about stardom in academia and how stardom works. Um, and I'm going to mischaracterize this a little bit for simplicity. You know, one of the one of the ideas is that you know people are willing to pay for the person that is just slightly better, and that's why you see the existence of superstars. The other theory, which I tend to believe more. Um, is the idea that uh, consumption of entertainment products is very much a communal affair. And as such, this kind of information and putting it out there, to some extent, you know, we, we, we're almost trained, even if we don't know anything about, and since we're down here in Atlanta, even if we don't know anything about the Atlanta Hawks, we are trained that we're supposed to talk to each other about Trey Young and say how great he is. Right? That's right. So what you're talking about is in economics we call a club good. Right? And a club good is a good where you consume it and your utility increases when other people consume the same good. So you get utility when other people are reading a book, so you might not find the book interesting, but you want to have conversation with people, so you go and read the book or you go watch a movie. We see this in just, just to – so everybody's talking about this movie Parasite. So you might feel left out if you're the only person who hasn't seen Parasite. So you might say, I have no idea what the movie's about. I heard it's okay, but all my friends are talking about it, so I better go see the movie so I can talk with them about the movie. See, that's a club good. Same thing happens with, with well, this. As you say, everybody's talking about Trey Young. I haven't watched the kid play. I better go watch a game so that I can talk about how good he is as well. So there's the club aspect of this of this consumption good. Well, and this is where I think it's interesting in, in terms of some of the different perspectives. Um, you know, I think a lot of academic disciplines arrive at the same place. They just take different directions and use different language. <clears throat> you know, when I think about entertainment, like this idea of the club, well, maybe the club is just about everyone. Right. So when I'm talking about this stuff, I, I tend to emphasize in terms of entertainment, you know, sort of, let's say, drilling down to why sports or entertainment products are of interest. I tend to drill down to two constructs, one of community and one of identity, hmm. two related things. Right. And so it's right. like your identity is that you're a Hawks fan and you're part of this community where you're also a, a Hawks fan, which I think is totally consistent with what you're talking about. Dude, I really love where you just went with that. And so it's there is something that's really fun about walking around with my Cubs hat and seeing other people with Cubs hats you know, in Atlanta. And you like you walk by and you're like, go Cubs, right? And that's yeah. it. What was really strange. <laughs> so last year, I, I took my daughter up to, to uh, dance in Chicago. And so we spent... Uh, you know, a couple of weeks in Chicago while she was dancing and I'm walking around the streets forgetting and everybody's in, in Cubs hats and I'm like, go Cubs. And then after like 20 seconds, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Everybody around here is part of the same <laughs> yeah, club. You're, you're not a special, uh, no, you're not part of a special community. No, but it was when I, when I took my son to, to Germany this, this summer <coughs> and there was, I saw people with Cubs hats and they saw me, they were like, they're walking along, they're like, go Cubs. And they were like in German. And I was like, of course, I, go Cubs, mm -hmm. right? That I mean, that is a really fun interaction. Mm -hmm. And so there's definitely an identity, right? Identify myself as a Cubs fan. But there's also this community of, hey, here's all these Cubs fans. We suffer and... And, and, you know, and in and, fact, it might be the thing that um, really sets sports apart from some other entertainment, uh, other parts of the entertainment sector, right? In terms of that community is a little bit stronger, right? That we are... We're we're connected, and yes. maybe it's because of the one law winning and losing nature of sports. But it's, you know, 
critical, I think. So this is where I think actually with the All Star, the All Star element sort of loses some of that aspect. That is, so you're rooting for you're root, rooting for your player on that team, but you're not necessarily rooting for like that team. Like I hope that that team wins. Nobody is when if your team loses, nobody is upset about it. You're like, okay, whatever. But my guy scored twelve points, right? So well, and, and, and let's let, let me let me turn it back to to Thomas because yeah, okay. I think this is a good point to say to get to get back to this issue of this is not an all star game. This is an all star weekend. And so it, this is a little bit of an unfair question to ask Thomas because this is definitely something that's changed over time. But briefly sort of describe and maybe start from, um, you know, what what happened in the last All-Star Weekend, how that was constructed, and then from there delve a little bit into the history of how we got to, got there. Yeah, so, so All-Star Weekend in its current form, and, and, and you guys were talking about rooting for you know, particular players. And the, so Saturday night is kind of the showcase for this individual talent. You have the, the slam dunk contest, the three-point contest, and the skills challenge. Three individual competitions, players just competing against other players. It may not always be the best what's guys the, at that uh, thing, What's, what's the skills challenge? I mean, the, the, I, I tend to think the classics are the three-point shooting and the, uh, the dunk contest. Yes, so those are the two classics. The skills challenge has been around since, like, 2003, 2004. And that's supposed, you know, it's supposed to be some sort of all-around competition with, like, passing and dribbling and shooting and uh, layups and whatever else. Um, it's, it's now just guys, you know, do this little obstacle course in tournament form. Um, but, but yes, the classics are like the three point contest and the slam dunk contest. And that, that allows, you know, those, those have these 35 year histories of being able to showcase these guys can do this part of the game better than anybody else. Well, let's, uh, let's go in sort of the, we'll rely more on Mike and Tom here, Mike and Tom Smith, uh, for a second, you know, I, I see in your notes that the, um, Thomas K's notes that the slam dunk contest actually migrated from the ABA to the NBA. And I think you have it that they, they began it in the, in the mid seventies. I tend to think, I, I think that's an interesting aside in all this. And, and, you know, one of the words that is always going to be in the back of our conversation is this idea of spectacle. Yes. And the ABA as an upstart league had to be about spectacle, right? Absolutely. They had to try different things. When I when you think about the uh, slam dunk contest, though, where does your fifty uh, approximately fifty year old mind go back to? Which which specific, not specific years, but which specific eras of the slam dunk? Well, two, I, so I go back to two events, and I was actually talking to Thomas about one of these events the other day. So two events. So as a Bulls fan, old time Bulls fan. So the Michael Jordan takeoff. You know what? Just stop it! Stop it! Old time Bulls fan is going to be talking about Norm Van Leer and Bob Love. Okay, I mean the new old time. It's like you know the the old Chicago Stadium where you're sitting in the second the second Uh, balcony. I sat at a five dollar ticket. You know I went to the Chicago Stadium. But let's let's just clarify old school versus (laughs) kind of Johnny. You know when when that when that franchise went upscale. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So. Was I'm not going to change those? So the Michael Jordan takeoff from the free throw line slam mm-hmm. dunk contest, right? right? And then, and then my second the it was the D Brown pumping up the Reebok pump sneakers. Okay. 
So those are the two events that I remember. Of course, you also remember things like Spud Webb, yeah. right? And so like Dominique, Dominique Wilkins, Wilkins, which is kind of, of interesting that would name a couple of Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, no, Dominic. I mean, of course, Dominic Wilkins, <coughs> human highlight film, right? And Spud yeah. Webb, D. Brown, Michael Jordan. And, and so it's kind of interesting, right, that the slam dunk contest really, at times, ends up being like the, the identification of the most impressive, spectacular physical talent, or at least it did if we go back decades. Oh, my God. It could be, it, it, so it captures so many different things. Sort of, it could capture some kind of uniqueness, mm-hmm. some kind of creativity, creativity, a little bit of a. I mean, we're talking See, about the, the equivalent of the NFL wide receiver pulling the uh, pen out of their sock. Oh for, my gosh, the ball, TO right? man, yeah. right? Then and, and think about this: is that when D Brown did this, right? Then it was all about the that Reebok pump. It became mm-hmm. all about that shoe, and it became all about D Brown being associated with that shoe. When okay, Jordan I, was doing it, I, it's all about the fly man, yeah. right? And the right. I mean, about Jordan and the shoe and the dunk. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it. It it has lost a lot of its let's say uniqueness in terms of our okay how and let's and, let, and let's come back to that in just a second. The other one that's really of note is the three point contest. Yeah, um, d- just to finish on this note. So yeah, so I found it interesting. All the all the events that you mentioned are are in that late eighties, early nineties window. And for someone like me, <laughs> fandom is created yeah. when you're from like the period of when you're twelve to twenty five, yeah. and then you're locked in. I think yes. Like Tom's and, favorite musical group is probably something like the Depeche Mode or something. In excess, yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and and then kind of where I come in is is sort of the the late two thousands, sort of the Dwight Howard, Gerald Green, mm-hmm. Nate Robinson era. Um, and then you have the Blake Griffin dunking over a car, and like those are the dunk yeah. contests that I remember. And I couldn't really tell you anything about the last few except for the two times that we had this this super dunk off and. Aaron Gordon got well. well why over why, don't, why don't we stay here then for a second? Because you know, so if the dunk contest is really about, let's say, the physical side, I'm gonna, I'm gonna characterize things a little sloppy here. That let's say the three point contest is about the skill side of the game, and the dunk contest is about the physical side of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what do fans appreciate? You know, they probably, in general, fans probably say they appreciate the skill side, but the reality is they really appreciate the physicality Splash and sort of the. You know the the amazing the amazingness the the fact that these guys are physical freaks. Now I, I think one of the things that is a challenge, right? Is it so? If we start to take the perspective of how does the All Star Game work for both sides of the equation, so the league wants to highlight itself and the league wants to introduce new stars. How do these competitions and how do some of these festivities work for the existing players? Right. So if you're a rookie, Michael Jack, uh, Michael Jordan, do you want to win the slam dunk contest? Yes. If you're a five time all star, Michael Jordan, do you still want to participate? No, not at all. Okay. well, why not? Well, a lot. I mean, this last weekend, a lot of chatter was about, okay, we can't wait till Zion, um, you know, takes on the slam dunk contest next year. Right. There's a there's not a lot of incentive for that player to do that other Mm -hmm. than if he wants to sort of become part of the conversation about the slam. The lore. The lore, right? Because otherwise it's got to be very taxing on your body physically, mentally it is, right? And it's, there's just, you're not going to get any rest that weekend. So you're going to be preparing for that. Everybody's going to be hounding you. Now now you've got a lot to lose 
for that player, okay. not now, a whole lot to gain. Can, can we agree that the NBA has everything to gain from Zion participating in uh, the contest? They, that's right, everything. Okay. That would be strongly benefit them a ton, a ton to incentivize this guy okay. to be part of it next now, year. So then we get into the, the, the strangeness of this situation, right? So what is Zion's incentive? I guess if he wins this, he is added to the list of Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins, what if he loses? That's see, that's the thing. I mean, Thomas K here was just talking about the guy who sort of mostly kind of dunked over Taco Falls, right? And yeah. so, and what what I thought was amazing was that everybody was talking about, well, did he actually clear Taco? He didn't quite clear Taco. It was still a great dunk. I mean, it almost became about like that one dunk rather than the whole dunk contest, which actually works really well for the league because now everybody wants to go, okay, how actually tall is Taco Falls? Can somebody actually dunk on this guy? Who's the guy who lost? Is he, and he's saying, um, oh, I don't even want to do this again. Like, I got gypped two years in a row. Screw this. I'm never coming back. The league would be hugely incentivized to actually create a dunk off between Zion and what's this guy's name? Aaron. This is Aaron Gordon. Aaron, right? So it's like so if you have Zion and Aaron, a, the Alpha and the Zeta go at it next year, just its own little competition. Like here's a guy who thinks he's been gypped off. Here's their newcomer. Let's just have these two guys go at it. You don't even need the rest of the contest. Like that's that's going to be the conversation. The, the little cycle of the dunk contest that's really interesting is like so Zach Levine, uh, who's who's with the Chicago Bulls now. He's he did it twice. He won both years. He's done. Um, you know he, he's got nothing left to prove for this. Uh, Nate Robinson won it three times. Well, let, let's stay there because I think that's an important part of the the potential disconnect between the league and the players. This idea of nothing left to prove. So winning a contest was his three points, or you know, being the MVP. Somehow, in terms of let's say NBA stardom, this is like checking boxes, like you've done it, and you just got to push back if you want. But for the league, you know, ideally, it's like well, there's annual participation. Right, and I, actually, I like this. So, so this happens, and sort of nothing left to prove. So, in the '90s, Craig Hodges nothing left Bulls, to prove, but everything to lose. Right. Right. So, in the '90s, Craig Hodges won the three-point contest uh, two years in a row. Then he was not on an NBA roster. They let him participate in the three-point contest, and he got to wear, let's say, a very generic jersey. And so, here's a guy who is. I mean, he did. He just wore, like, a blue jersey. And so they said, okay, like, you want to compete in this. Like, you're the reigning champion. We feel that it's that it's important enough for you to be able to defend your crown, even though you aren't actually playing in the league. Think about that's craziness. Like, I don't think the NBA would be willing to bring somebody back to defend their slam dunk contest now if they weren't actually playing in the league but that's the league trying to promote the league. And now I think the league is trying to promote individual players to be so that to get interest in the league. I mean, that okay. just shows you how much has changed. Well, I, okay, so along these lines, and I think this is where this conversation needs to go on a sort of a fundamental level, is that the All-Star Game is about the, the NBA is a player-driven league. And so the all-star game is a vehicle or a means to help create these stars that drive the league. So I think there's sort of two questions here. One is fundamentally, 
fundamentally, how does uh, how are stars created? And second is so so how are stars created? And second is you know the are the goals of the MBA in terms of star creation are they aligned with how you know uh, how talent thinks about how their stars and how their brands are created? And so we've had a lot of this kind of discussion, sort of this this nature of the the spectacle. And um, so I, I think that there's um you know the, what this conversation boils down to is just the 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 notion of how NBA stars are created sort of what fans are looking for um how the league wants to go about creating those stars and how players want to manage their individual brands based on the conversation so far i'm hearing you know a little bit of disconnect at times where the the players might be checking off boxes where the NBA wants to have this full on spectacle where they've got all their stars who are risking life and limb to perform these amazing dunks and so this this brings us to the question of if you are the NBA how should you you know think about all-star weekend in terms of your business with part of that being you know acknowledging the the role of the players you know one of the things that i think that has come up in this conversation that would actually sort of put me off a little bit as a player is that the all-star weekend was built around two guys it was right. built around LeBron, and it was built around Giannis. I'm as good as those guys. Why am I second fiddle? Why am I showing up to this if you are going to spend the whole weekend building their brands, but you're not going to build my brand? Yeah, I, actually, I really like that point because here's, here's why. It's, it's you have... So now, if I'm Trey Young and I'm on... Who's, he was, he was on Team Giannis. Okay, so, so I'm on... I'm Trey Young. I'm the superstar of the Hawks. I'm a you know a young go-getter. I want the, the league to highlight me, and when everybody talks about me, they're talking about Team Giannis. So it's like okay, you're to- putting somebody else's name in front of my name. Well, you're saying that a, there's two marquee stars, and I'm yes, I'm and a I'm, second tier guy. Second tier guy. Yeah, I don't like that, and so I think that. This gives people sort of an incentive to, you know, the, like basically playing like, you know, a, a bigger version of kickball, right? And so like, he's the captain. He's going to choose me. Great. Maybe the league sees it as, okay, well, so will Trey Young try to become the captain then? I mean, it's, it, it, there's not a whole lot of opportunity for him if the fans are choosing, right? He's coming from a smaller market team. It's he's not going to have that opportunity. Although you could argue that Milwaukee is, and when it comes to small market teams, pretty small market, right? So Trey Young, what? It's got to have more highlights on ESPN so people recognize him, so that people from other markets vote for him. I just think okay. that's a big I mean, hurdle. Both, both LeBron and Giannis are the best players on the best teams in their conferences. Giannis is the reigning MVP. LeBron has been, you know, the kind of biggest star in the league for almost 15 years sure well but but i think folks might push back on that idea yeah. that, Le, that lebron is still and i'm i'm agnostic on this one but i think folks might push back and say Le, lebron is not the best player in the league anymore that he's more like a top five player but he is still in this position where you, you know it's hard to imagine that lebron will not be the captain of that team until the day he retires. Yeah. Right. That's, that's so, a tough one. So yeah, it, it ends right. up the situation where our other folks, our stars locked out because the NBA is continuing to ride their superstar. Now as a business case, 
you know, for the NBA in the short term, obviously it makes sense to keep pushing LeBron. Now, if you've got a, you know, 10 or 15 year horizon, you know, maybe you start to develop the next talent. I mean, that's a, that's a classic problem in a lot of star driven sports. Right. Now I, I think that the motivation of the league is to create, is to create focus on the league. They think the best way to do this is to, is to ride the coattails of the, of the top stars if I am a, a second-level top star, then clearly I've got to do something that puts my name out there so that people identify or grab some kind of, a, you know, what you call some kind of a brand attraction or whatever else to me, right? So, I mean, if your Trey Young is out there and saying, okay, I'm on this team, I got to do something that creates a splash for me this weekend. So do I do, you know, a couple extra minutes on SportsCenter? Do I, you know, like get out of the game and actually go sit at the announcer's table and actually do color commentary. I mean, something that is a little bit different, that's what I would start well, looking for I, players I'm going to argue that that's what players have actually already decided to do. I mean, you know, th- this past season, I think the big NBA story has been in some ways that the NBA as a league has lost control of competitive balance because now the league is all about – collections of stars getting together to go play for the Nets or to go play for the Clippers. I think a lot of that is sort of pushed by this notion of, you know, we, we got to build our own brands and the way you build a brand is by winning championships. Yeah. So I actually, I mean, I don't know if this was your intention, but I, this is where we are now in this conversation is that you now have teams which look like what used to be an all-star lineup. Right, so you have an entire team. You well, say, "Oh just my gosh, three, just two or three, three guys, guys." Though, right? But it's the time. I mean, it's the yeah. top three guys. But there could be somebody who's coming off the, like the sixth man, and you yeah. go, "Oh wow!" Like on any other team, that guy would be the he, second star in that. You saw team. some of that with Golden State the last couple of years. Right? Absolutely, right? You've seen. I mean, you've seen it with you've seen it with other teams too, where you say, "Geez, like that guy's coming off the bench. He would be the number two player on you know on, on that team, right?" And so. It, you can you have this collection of stars that are let's say there's a positive feedback loop where they're they're like okay I play we're getting better everybody knows about the team and then everybody learns about everybody else on the team and so the team becomes the all star team and the team is actually in some respects like better than the all star team because they're more complete or they're more competitive you know in a real life setting I mean it's you don't. I think going forward, you don't need the all-star game to see a team, a group of individuals who are have, possess a lot of talent. Like you look at a handful of teams, you go, "Wow, that's as good as an all-star team." You need to see it if you're li- if you're living in certain markets, right? Okay, so let, let, looking at the clock, real quick. So how about I give you guys each one minute mm-hmm. to sort of give your thoughts on where the all-star game, where the NBA all-star game specifically, where this should go next, Thomas K. So, uh, as far as like I'm coming at this from sort of the sports fan, you know, the sports guy perspective, is that they they changed the format this year to make every quarter uh, matter in, in kind of its own way, and then the the aggregate score they give a target score at the end, and so you know what what I think a, a lot of sports fans want is they want sort of just a, a level of intensity in the All Star game that they got this year because of this target score and. Um, just all this stuff that, you know, it was it was like a super high level pickup game, and I think that's what the All Star Game, at you know, in its peak form, really should be. And so, 
you know, whatever sort of tweaks they can make to this sort of format to continue to promote that. So you um, want more competitive in the game? Yeah, so I think, I think that's what would, you know, draw the most fan interest is that if, the, if it seems like the players really care about being in the game and winning the game, then the fans will care about yeah. watching it. Mr. Smith. Dr. Smith. Oh, okay. So I'm going to go a slightly different direction, and I'm going to suggest a tweak, okay, okay. based on this last thing. So I think instead of having two all-star teams, you actually have a mini all-star tournament over four quarters. So quarter one is two teams playing against each other. Quarter two is two teams playing against each other. Quarter three is the losing bracket. And then quarter four is the winning bracket. And so you basically have four pickup games. And and those and those teams are you get a smaller number of players, like maybe eight players <clears throat> instead of fourteen. And you have now you can increase the number of all stars. And now you you're everybody's playing for the fourth quarter pickup game. Now that would be fun. And every single quarter then would be a real chase to the end. I'm I'm kind of in on that. Um uh, the NHL actually does something kind of like it, and it's, you know, it's it's just a less popular league, and the All Star Game is like during, I think, an NFL a good NFL weekend, but okay, I'm yeah. not to cut you guys off, but I'm looking at the clock, and we got we got to wrap this one up. Uh, I will just add um, that one concern with the direction that you're going is it's like this moving totally into the. The realm of um, you know spectacle. I, I, you know, I, I was half expecting you to say, and and, and we'll play on trampolines. <laughs> okay. So so, so with that, yes. No, we might as well play on trampolines. So right. with that, you know, I want to thank everyone for listening. There, as always, there's more at fanalyticswithmikelewis.com. So until next time, thank you guys very much. <laughs>